0: What's hard for the leader is if they don't have a safe place, if they don't have a place to talk about their fears and insecurities, they can't often tell their spouse where they're really worried because it freaks them out. They can't really tell the other members of the leadership team because they'll all quit and go somewhere else. The leader needs to have that one person, that confidant, that behind the scenes, they can go, I don't know what I'm doing. And the CEO can go, I got you. You keep going out there as a good energy, right? As Jack Daly calls the chief energizing officer Today, we're diving into a topic that challenges the conventional perception of CEOs. We often don't associate humility with being a CEO, but it's actually a crucial trait when it comes to building a strong and trusting relationship with your chief operating officer, COO. Imagine being able to turn to your trusted COO and say, hey, I need help in this area. Can you lend a hand? That level of trust is vital in the CEO-COO dynamic. Here, I share insights on the fascinating yin and yang of the CEO and COO relationship and the importance of understanding that each role requires different behavioral traits and skill sets. This awareness becomes particularly crucial during the interviewing process to ensure the right fit for the team. So if you're curious to explore the unexpected dynamics between CEOs and COOs and how humility and trust play a pivotal role, this episode is a must-listen. The core values are gonna be the same, but the way that we show up as individuals might be yeah. slightly different. Yeah. But what matters to us is going to be the same. That's a, that's the key salient point. So I always say we have to interview for core values, for behavioral traits, and for the proven skill set on a role-by-role basis. Well, if you're looking for the second command, you know, what are those? What only really changes, core values don't change across any role in the company, but the behavioral traits and the skill sets change for every role in the company. Yeah.
1: And there's something in this at its core. It requires a level of humility by the founder, by the leader to actually complete this inventory checklist, this activity inventory checklist, and really be ruthlessly honest with themselves about the things that they suck at. Uh, Because there's, you know, there's likely uh, there's a level of ego there to actually Found a company in the first place. I mean, but it's making yeah. sure that it's your servant and not the master. So being humble to accept there are things that you aren't good at. I was speaking with the CEO uh, just this week, and we were chatting on a similar topic, and and he mentioned some of the activities that really uh, formed his day. And he said, "I hate doing those things," and if you know, I said, "Well." Why are you doing them? You know, if you hit them, your energy changes, the energy of the people around you change. But if when you hit something, there is somebody
0: out there who really loves that. Yeah. So, so speak to this, Cameron. Well, I and it's interesting. I've never thought about the whole that the CEO needs to have the humility to say what they suck at, because that is really what needs to happen. And that's super insightful that you've, you've thought of it that way. So I'll have to include that in my next version of the book. I'll have to kind of I'll do an <laughs> edit. Because Thank you. Because there's something there about that's that really is the mindset of, and that's why it needs to be such a safe relationship with who they hire, is you need to be able to turn to that person and say, I suck at this. Very similar to your spouse, right? My spouse knows, my wife knows where I'm really bad at stuff, and I talk to her about where I'm scared or vulnerable or insecure about things, and then she's there to build me up so that when I walk out the door, I can have that game face on, or I can buffer it with hiring the good people. This is super insightful on that.
1: Yeah, and even the visual of that that yin and yang and it's the the cover graphic of your book, it doesn't suggest that, you know, this role is subservient to me Mm-mm. as the leader or founder. It's, it says we we literally are one. I, I have recognized what I'm really good at, where my strengths lie, what my unique ability is, and I have identified all of those things that I'm not, and these play to your unique ability. And together when you know we become a potent force as a result of that, that, you know, the coming together, this alliance. Yeah.
0: There was, there was a book that I read around 20 years ago, and I, I can't remember the name of it for the life of me, but, and it was only like a page or two that talked about, um, the CEO CO relationship. It was about like building a company to a, to a billion dollar size. And it talked about the two in a box yeah. and the two in the box were the CEO and the COO effectively in the same box on the org chart. And if you can get it to that stage, that's where the magic really shines. And and it is just a different relationship from the CEO and anyone else in the C-suite or anyone else on the leadership team, right? The COO needs to be able to collaborate with all the different functional areas. They need to be probably even better at a lot of the people skills, the interpersonal skills, the conflict skills, the collaboration skills. Um, They need to be able to understand enough of the business areas at a base level of competency but not at a domain expertise level. The head of an area needs to have the domain expertise, right? The head of finance needs to be really great at finance. The head of IT needs to be really great at IT. The head of marketing needs to be really great at marketing, et cetera. The COO needs to at least understand each of the areas in terms of roughly what they do and what they work on to understand the kind of interdependencies and to be able to work with the people. It's a really weird role. Yeah, and it's a role that... Let's provoke this for a moment because it's a role that
1: requires a huge amount of competency in being able to what i often find is when ceos are up everybody's just on a high but with yeah. that up i often find came a crashing down now if you've got that turbulence that's just uh, waving or ripping through a company that can be very destructive and very disturbing to building a culture i find that Certainly acting as a filter, a stabilizer to the the ups and the downs and be able to almost, you know, if you have this visual of, you know, being the megaphone, but there's a filter within that megaphone. So you have these private conversations with the leader. And you then communicate something that that keeps people at their most productive. Rather than if I use the the analogy of the airplane, you don't want to see these
0: conversations happening between the pilot and the co-pilot. <laughs> you no, are. and I, I'm kind of vibrating as you're talking about this because this is this again. If I go back to the family analogy, mom and dad need to be able to debate and fight and talk about the kids confidentially and talk about their future but not in front of the kids, <laughs> yes. right? Because you don't want to see mom and dad arguing <laughs> about your sister. You don't want to see mom and dad being worried about your brother. You don't want to see mom and dad fighting about where we're going to go on vacation. But they need to have that space to then collaborate and have the consensus and then, you know, and mesh. So that that's one for sure. You talk about the, the CEOs having these highs and then the crash afterwards. In my first book, Double Double, I talk about the fact that most entrepreneurial CEOs are on the spectrum for bipolar disorder. The mania, the big highs is why people follow us. It's why they'll invest, it's why they quit their job to join a small company, it's why they'll say hell yes to a project without knowing how we're gonna do it. They, they like to follow that leader, right? It's called follow the leader. So, but what's hard for the leader is if they don't have a safe place, if they don't have a place to talk about their fears and insecurities, they can't often tell their spouse where they're really worried because it freaks them out. They can't really tell the other members of the leadership team because they'll all quit and go somewhere else. The leader needs to have that one person, that confidant, that behind the scenes, they can go, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm nervous about this. I know we're making this big bet, but I'm fucking scared. And the CEO can go, I gotcha. You keep going out there as the good energy, right? As Jack Daly calls the chief energizing officer, and all stay behind the scenes and play cleanup. The other role for the CEO and the COO, my sister says that the COO has to be the brakes for the CEO's gas. I love right? that. Because the, the entrepreneurs are always like, go faster, go faster. Yeah. And the COO is like, yeah, but we're kind of driving towards this brick wall. Let's like slow down to go into that corner, right? And the COO needs to be the, the thought process behind you know the energy. And then the last thought I have on this is um, Thomas Edison once said that vision without execution is hallucination. The CEO is vision. The COO is execution. And that's why it's so critical to have that good second in command is you need to have the execution to make the vision happen. And most entrepreneurial CEOs don't have the ability, the capabilities, the desire or even the focus ability to actually make a lot of their ideas come true, right? They they get too distracted.
1: You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.